Come, linger, and join the conversation as we sit at the feet of Rabbi Jesus in the Upper Room. In today's Upper Room Conversation, Giles shares his faith journey and how Christ ignited a passion in him to disciple young people. Hello, everybody. Uh, Welcome to the Upper Room. Today, um, as you heard, we are going to be speaking with uh, Giles Emery, uh, one of the uh, repeat voices that you're going to hear in the Upper Room, and um, just an opportunity to get into his life and let listeners that we're not in community with uh, get to know his story just a little bit better and uh, have some background. So uh, thank you for tuning in, and Giles, thank you for... um, for sharing and opening up your life so that people can um, know more, a little bit more about you. Well, Brian, it's great to be here. And yeah, um, I'm excited to share a bit of my testimony. Uh, I think it'll also life map for me. So you'll be able to know a little bit about my journey of coming to faith and coming to Christ and what that looked like. Um, one of the things you guys will soon find out about me is I like to really go to Scripture Um, when I'm trying to even describe my own testimony or when I'm having conversations in general. And so I think I want to start by sharing just a bit about my childhood, but I want to start with the scripture verse in regards to that, Um, just because, you know, we all have these journeys, and I think it's so critical for us to build our own testimonies up uh, so that we can share easily with others. So I hope that today, as you listen to my testimony, maybe it'll be a model or a method in which you can share your testimony with others. Um, so the verse I want to start with is uh, Zechariah 7.11. It says, Your ancestors refused to listen to this message. They stubbornly turned away and put their fingers in their ears to keep from hearing. And I know that may sound like a harsh verse, but in all honesty, my childhood, um, I was raised in a large Catholic family, and I would even say that it was an Orthodox Catholic. Um, both of my parents were devout Catholics, and so Sundays were always a day for church, and then there were also other obligations um, in regards to the holy days. So what were some of those obligations? I mean, what what were some of those things that you would say um, helped form your childhood and shaped you um, and your knowledge of religion, spirituality, and even uh, possibly, you know, Christ? No, that's a great question, and one of the things that I remember so well is uh, my mom and her faith life and the fact that she, uh, you know, she would wear like the mantilla, which is like the head covering, and we would always be kneeling uh, during certain prayers while other people in the church were standing. So I always felt a little bit out of place, Um, but we really never built any real relationships with any of the other families. I, I felt like it was sort of our faith was going to Sunday service, um, going through the rituals of that. And then it really didn't seem to be much a part of my life. I certainly did not experience, I think, the faith journey that my parents did. They were both converts to Catholicism. So, I mean, they had made an active choice to become Catholics while I was just raised in that household. And so for me, it was sort of boring and I didn't really understand it all because it was never taught from the pulpit about a personal relationship with Jesus. So just a quick question, were they 
converts as adults? Did they make that decision as adults? Yeah, that's a great question. They actually um, were. Um, they both had grown up in Protestant households. My dad had grown up in much more the high church Protestant. Um, my mom had grown up actually as her dad was an atheist. Um, and so she went to any church that was close by. So um, she would go to the Baptist church, the Methodist church, and you guys know all the different variations. So she sort of had a hodgepodge of faith. And when they married, because of my dad's studies in school of theology and everything else, they converted to, um, they converted to Catholicism. It's so interesting to hear you say that um, because even I'm I'm learning these things about about my my housemate and uh, roommate here and um, and Giles. You know that's something that's very similar to my story and it's interesting because we kind of take that for granted as kids um, that our our adult parents, our parents that we look up to for all these things, may actually be very young in some of their um, decisions, um, faith decisions that they've made in their life as well. Yeah, and even today, if I'm being honest, I look at my parents and I see that they really do try to pursue that as their faith. And for them, I believe that this was something that has been formative and has helped them grow closer to God. Uh, But for me, it was just something I just couldn't really relate to, and it just didn't have a great deal of impact on me. I felt it was mostly just rules and regulations and, in a lot of ways, sort of like behavior control uh, so that, you know, this fearful aspect of doing the wrong thing was so built up in me. But I don't think even my parents would have recognized that that was the faith that I experienced or the religion that I experienced, I guess, growing up. Yeah. So then you took this background, large family, large Catholic family, those experiences, and you headed off to headed off to college after graduating from high school. Wow. What was that like for you? <laughs> Freedom. No, I mean, let's just be honest. <laughs> I mean, I, I couldn't, I didn't have any foundation. There was no, I mean, I had this large foundation, but I didn't have any kind of relationship aspect with my faith or with God or Jesus. And so as soon as I went off to college, I was like, I'm shedding this. And I didn't um, go to church pretty much the whole time. I sort of got into a situation uh, my freshman year, especially when, you know, the rules and that growing up, I was outside that house. I felt like, you know, here's a verse I want to use for this. It was sort of the Luke 15 verse, uh, 15, 16. He persuaded a local farmer to hire him, and the man sent him into the fields to feed the pigs. The young man became so hungry that even the pods he was feeding the pigs looked good to him but no one, no one gave him anything. So I really was sort of like that prodigal son, right? I went out there. I was having a good time. Freshman year of college, I got into some dope, some marijuana. And honestly, the reason I quit that was not some kind of spiritual. But I heard myself, like this kind of recording, I heard myself in a recording, and I was like, man, that dude sounds dumb. <laughs> and I was like, I got to quit, right? Yeah. But It was really just a lot of that, Brian, hanging out with friends, partying, drinking. You know, a typical story, I think, for a lot of college students. And so at that time, when you're involved in all that stuff, I mean, what what were you majoring in? What were you studying? Uh, Religion, of course, you know. Yeah, so I asked that for a specific reason, uh, you know, to get everybody heading down this path. I mean, how did that 
how, how was that conflict for you as you started out that um, studying religion and stuff and yet, and yet dealing with some of this duplicitous lifestyle? I don't think I had a conflict. It was really intellectual. Um, I was learning about Christianity, more about it, but I was also learning about Islam and um, Buddhism. And so it was pretty, I didn't go to a Christian university, so it was a pretty widespread uh, amount of different kind of religions. And so I really didn't, it didn't seem to have that personal impact. Did I feel shame and did I feel guilt about decisions that I was making? Absolutely, but I don't think it was because I had this big relationship with Jesus or concern of that. It was more I had just grown up in a household where sin was such a, you know, go to confession. Sin was so much a part about how you're not supposed to be that it was just basically the shame of that, uh, but not because I felt really remorse. Does that, I don't know if that makes any sense. Oh, it makes it makes perfect sense to me, um, and I think that there's going to be a lot of people that are going to be able to relate to that. That that um, if you're not if, if you're not uh, deeply involved in it, well, let's put it this way: there is a way to study religion and religious studies and even Christianity from the head. Yeah, that's exactly, and not experience it in the deep in the deeper parts of our soul. Now, while you're in college, though, and you're um, and and you're doing all these things and living this story. I mean, you did encounter some people that had some influence on your life uh, for good, and even uh, that you can look back and say, "Well, that was actually Christ touching me and sending that person." Can you tell me about tell me about one of those? Yeah, I actually had a guy that lived in my hallway. Uh, his name was Chuck, and he would always come and try to talk to me about uh, Jesus and his personal relationship with Jesus. And for me, I'll just be honest, I felt like, well, I grew up Catholic, um, and I know God, like intellectually know God, and I intellectually know Jesus, and I don't disregard those things. So for me, I, he was, I think he was trying to move me to a better place, and I know that some seeds were planted during that time, but in a lot of ways, I sort of just felt like, hey man, I'm okay, I got it, don't worry about me, I'm already, you know, a Christian. I didn't, I didn't, I never used the word saved because I didn't even know what that really meant. That wasn't a word that we use in uh, Catholic uh, theology. So um, when he would talk to me about, man, do you have a personal relationship with Jesus? Are you saved? I was like, man, this dude's a little whack. Like, why is he all in my grill all the time? But now I see that, you know, God placed him there to sort of start planting those seeds um, and start making me question about do I have a personal relationship with Jesus? Because it was the first time that somebody had really said those things to me. Yeah, wow. Um, and so important, I think, for us to look back um, and see, uh, as we're adults and as we mature, we look back and we see those stones of remembrance, those moments when when God spoke to us through a person and a seed was planted in our heart, and we can actually refer to that. So what a gift that that is to be able to look back and still remember that. Mm -hmm. So after college... Um, did you meet anybody in college? Were you dating anybody? I mean, were you heading in that direction? Oh, well, did I meet anybody in college? Well, first thing is I went to an all-male college. I don't oh. even know if there's, besides this one, that any other even exists now. Uh, so not really. Uh, and I know this is a Christian podcast, but I got to sort of say one of the jokes that people would always say around there was, you know, uh, the name of the school. Uh, 
where the men are men and the sheep run scared, uh, which was really <laughs> sort of like indicative of the fact that it was all male all the time. And so I really didn't meet anybody in school. So it wasn't until after college uh, when I uh, started my first job that I actually met my bride. Um, and which I think that really was the beginning of a lot more transformation in my life. Wow, that's so neat. And I can't, I hate to go back to it, but I can't leave this hanging out there as someone who attended a, a competitive college in the same conference that that comment actually warms my heart quite a bit. <laughs> yeah, of course, right? Because we did tend to whip you guys up in most sports. So Def, definitely in football, there's no question about it. No question about it. So tell me a little bit about your marriage, about uh, your, your marriage, your meeting and courtship and marriage to Allison. Yeah, so I, I want to start this uh part where I'm talking about my marriage, sort of with a verse of, from Genesis 2.24. It said, Therefore a man shall leave his father and his mother, and hold fast to his wife, and they shall become one flesh. And so when I met Allison, my bride, it was a cool story. I was working with one of my friends, and we were standing downstairs, and we both we worked at the state house in Indianapolis. And I was looking up, and I'm seeing this woman walk by, this young lady walked by up top, and I turned to my friend, and I said, that's the woman I'm going to marry. I had never met her. I didn't know her, but I just knew. And it ended up, as I always say, if I succeeded at one thing, it was I made that happen. Yeah, <laughs> right? So, like, which to me, though, was so pivotal in my spiritual formation because I ended up marrying a preacher's daughter. So this Catholic boy that had sort of walked away from the faith ends up meeting this preacher's uh, daughter. And um, she was, you know, she had grown up in the Church of God tradition. Um, so she was much more evangelical Christian, Protestant, obviously. And so, you know, when we got married, even while we were dating, we had to make a choice about where we were going to go to church. And because at this point, I was like, well, I need to go to church. And I was like, I'm going to try the Catholic church. And and but I'm going to try the her church as well. So we actually started going by to both. But as that verse just says, they shall become one flesh. We realized that's not going to do it. And honestly, I was having no growth. It was just back to the same ritual for me within the Catholic Church and within the Protestant Church. We were going to it was a Church of the Nazarene. I actually began to experience um, an understanding, a little bit more of an understanding of what it meant to have a personal relationship with Christ because I was surrounded by people that seemed to be living that out. Oh, that was, that's way cool. Way cool. And, um, and so, so, so did you eventually then just start going to just go into the church of the Nazarene together and shed that off and start out on that journey together? We did, we did. And really, um, it was a really great time of formation and growth for me, but I really still wasn't at a point where I was still carrying a lot of shame and guilt because I still carried a lot of that baggage from my past. And, you know, it wasn't um, until years later on a men's retreat that really, I think, God spoke to me. Oh, men's retreats. Um, we have a history there. And um, I know how powerful um, that place can be. And I also can understand, too. And and take a minute to explain to the listeners um you know, that impact that you had and the experience that you had um, out there um, that weekend. Well, yeah. And this is actually also, I want to put, this is actually when um, this time period was also when I met Brian. And so uh, 
you know, we didn't really know each other that well at that time, but this was the period of time where Brian and I uh, met each other. But I was on a men's retreat, and I was with a pastor who has had a great influence on my life, and he was really sort of a model of a man that I wanted to be. And so as we were sharing and everything, I, I just shared, you know, I had a real struggle. Even now in my marriage, even though I've been going to church, I had a real struggle with pornography. And he said, you know, you need to going to have to share this with everyone here. <laughs> and I was like, okay. And so I did. And I was so uh, warmly accepted, even with that sin in my life, um, that that had just a profound impact on me. And I f- suddenly felt some of that guilt and shame through confession um, had been lifted from me. And so the following day, um, I was actually in the woods and I was sort of, well, I was, I was calling out to God in repentance over my sin and over all my sin, not just, you know, my struggle with pornography. And as I was out there, I uh, audibly heard from God and he said to me, you are mine. And at that moment, I knew that my life was radically changed and was going to change the direction in which I would live my life and the way I would be a husband and the way that I would be a friend and the way that I would be a follower of Christ. Now, now two things um, that I want to I want to bring to mind here early on that you were going to hear this word repentance I think quite a bit through this podcast and um, and through our stories and I think it's going to come up quite a bit um, through the people that we're discipling and that we're spending time with. Tell me a little bit about that word repent because um, I, th- I just want to make sure that people are clear on what we define it as and um, and how that might be different from what they've heard prior right. to right and. So um, it was really this moment that I knew I was in a um, in conflict, uh, in a state of unbelief with God, who God was, and I really had to repent of that behavior, um, not just the fruit of the sin, but where my heart posture was, and I had to humble myself. And repentance was this nature of humbling myself before God, and saying, "You are God, and I am not." but you have a desire for me. Um, and so that really um, was impactful. And, you know, I'm saying some of these words now, but Brian will know, I, even at that point, I really didn't have some of those knowledge. What I, needed, what I knew at that moment was I needed forgiveness. And um, what I found out later, which is so cool, was the statement that God said to me, you are mine, was actually straight from Scripture. And that was Isaiah 43.1. But now, O Jacob, listen to the Lord who created you. O Israel, the one who formed you says, Do not be afraid, for I have ransomed you by my name. You are mine. And then when, I, when my wife told me that that was the scripture, I was like blown away. Um, but it also gave me a purpose, I felt, and a method of how to serve God. Well, what a good story so far, um, you know, to to hear this transformation of going through the the rituals and the rites uh, of the Catholic faith, turning away from God, and how despite all of those things, um, and despite even this major sin issue, that at that moment he he 
he's saying he's ransomed you. He's already he's already bought you back and declared you worthy of buying back. So um, that's uh, that's 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 awesome um, and great to hear. Yeah, and even I'm gonna just add one other quick thing. Even in that moment too, I actually wrote a letter to my wife, a letter to my father-in-law, a letter to my parents about my struggle with my sin, um, and that was also just to be exposed, um, which is also things that we will talk about on this podcast was so powerful for me, powerful for me to be able to confess to those people in the life that mean the most to me. And especially to my wife who I was violating our oath of marriage with my struggle. Yeah. Yeah, definitely powerful. And I can't wait to unpack that later. So you're in your, uh, you know, at that point we're in our twenties, right? Right. We're in our twenties. We're attending these uh, men's retreats. We're attending the same church and, and it was then from that that then it started out this process of drawing closer to God and eventually finding what? Well, I like how you said we were in our 20s. You were in your late 20s. I was 30 at my time <laughs> of in the woods, but really still new in marriage four years in. Uh, my wife and I were pursuing our careers. Uh, my wife is an attorney, was an attorney, and uh, I worked in the IT field. And we realized through, you know, years of trying that we were not able to have kids, uh, which was a pretty difficult process to go through, but God had different plans for us. Um, but also we were really, (laughs) we really were thinking that we could do it all, that we could live a life following Jesus and, you know, um, but also live a life pursuing our own dreams. And we really sort of had accomplished, you know, by our late 30s, we had accomplished the American dream. We had a big house, nice cars. You know, we were financially well off, could go on vacations whenever we wanted to. Um, We didn't have children, so that eased a big financial burden even about concerns for the future. But there was something missing in this pie theology or pie life as I like to call it, which is like, you know, God is one piece of the pie. My career is another piece of the pie. Um, you know, my family is another piece of the pie and all these things were divided out, but I didn't have a unified relationship with God as truly king over all of my life, even though I thought I was pursuing those things. And it wasn't until Allison, (laughs) went on a mission trip to Kenya that a lot of that began to change. So, um, so if you had to pick out a verse for this one, you know, what would it be? What, what would this experience look like for you? I would say that this experience would be, um, Matthew 13, 44. The kingdom of heaven is like a treasure that a man discovered hidden in a field in his excitement. He hid it again and sold everything he owned to get enough money to buy the field. And so as I was sharing, we had all those things. Allison went on this trip. God spoke to her heart. And through that process began a thing of becoming missionaries to Kenya, which one of the requirements is is that you leave your jobs, you sell everything you have because you can't have these entanglements, these financial entanglements, and that you then go and you go raise your own support. So you're out there doing something that I was honestly not used to at all. I had always, we had always been fairly generous uh, giving, 
but then asking to receive was a whole new humbling experience, but such a lesson and such a good one from God through that process about depending on him. And so, yeah, we uh, went to Kenya, um, and I think that God really needed to remove us from here and remove us from that lifestyle so that we could grow even closer to him, which while we were in Kenya, um, I believe that some of that happened working with some of the poorest people in the world in the slums of Mathari in Nairobi. So, and so while you were there, you are not only, and I think this is just, I'm, I'm just hearing you say this. So not only, you know, fully more dependent on each other because you didn't have those creature comforts right. from here, but also you really learned to be totally dependent on God for, your safety, your protection, you know, some of the things. Um, so just tell me, yeah. tell, tell, tell a little bit more about some of that sure. experience. Brian, that's really good. That's a really good point. And I know that, you know, you were there as far as like video calls and stuff like that and supporting us while we were in Kenya. And so, you know, you know, some of the stories. So yeah, you know, living cross-culturally and living in a country where everyone looks different than you and, um, people speak a different language and, just the way of life and the patterns of life are different culturally uh, was quite stressful and in a lot of times felt quite dangerous. Uh, but we just had to depend on God because truly we could not depend on our own understanding in these situations because you just can't understand it. I mean, you know, we had gone to training and cross-cultural training, but it's nothing like actually when you're in it. And so, you know, during that time, I think we became much more flexible and we really started to look and say, what is the kingdom of God, the culture of God like, versus my American culture that I come from and the, how it's for me, and now this Kenyan culture, which is different in a lot of ways, and there were some incredible things about it that I was like, that's a lot closer to God's culture, but there was also some things that were further, but I could also honestly look at the American Christian culture and have the same kind of concerns and questions. And so I think it was really a great time for growth in that. And it was a great time to realize that when you do mission work or when you do something like that, when God says it's time, because our time was cut shorter than we thought in that we were there for three years, but at the end we realized it's because we had done the work that God required for us to do in a foreign land, and then he was calling us back to... Um, our homeland. And yet you come back to your homeland and still the only thing that you still have in your possession is that treasure in that field. Exactly. Exactly. And you know, and it's not like there wasn't the opportunity. We come back and where my wife had been working, they offered her her job back. Um, I could have easily made a phone call to my own job and gotten that job back. And we could have gone, continued on in that lifestyle that we had lived before. But this is, uh, this is from Luke 9.62, the verse for this section, which is, But Jesus told him, Anyone who puts a hand to the plow and then looks back is not fit for the kingdom of God. And we had been living for the kingdom of God in Kenya. And when we came back, we were like, God, this is the life that you have given to us. Because we may not be missionaries, but you never told us that we were done with ministry. Yeah. We were, you're done building the kingdom. Right. Yeah. So you come home. And you, um, and so w what did that look like? I mean, you'd sold your house, you had a, you had a storage unit and some, and some, some stuff in storage that, um, that you weren't able to unload before you left. What, what did it look like coming home and what happened there? 
Well, we didn't have really any great opportunities uh, necessarily, except for we knew what God had for us. And um, Allison likes to call this season, when we walked a little bit into this, is she said, you know, when we went to Kenya, God was the light to the path. And then when we returned, it was the lamp to the feet. But I honestly believe that was because we had grown. And God said, I just need to show you this next step. I don't need to show you the full path ahead. And through a matter of connections and with spiritual advisors that we had grown close with, uh, the opportunity to serve came up um, in which we were going to be helping reach the two out of three that um, have walked away from the church, young people. And it's a crisis of our day. And so Allison and I were like, well, this seems to be where God is leading us. We don't have children, (laughs) but if we did, they would be this age or about this age. And the other thing was, is that we're like, well, maybe this is a way that God is fulfilling his purpose in us about being a mother and father to nations, because we felt that that's what we had experienced in Kenya with the 25,000 young people that we worked with there. And we thought that that was, God was continuing this path with us of helping to raise up generations. Well, and there are two things that come to mind. One is I, I hope I hope we get the opportunity to have Allison sit down and share some of the things that God has given her through this process. Right, exactly. Because there's some really powerful scripture there that um, and teaching that God did for her. But also, too, um, from my own experience, I know that um, this that experience in Kenya, as well as even um, not having kids, has uniquely prepared you to speak life into my children that are that age as well and to say things and to walk with them and to, and to be uh, different because, you know, we've learned a language uh, with, with our kids from, from when they were little all the way up until now. And it's been really difficult to break free from some of that. And, um, and it is, it is cool to see how you interact with those young people and whatnot. And, but then, uh, but then also this, this opportunity to do this, you, it wasn't all given to you all at once. You know, I hear you talking about some of the re- some of the research that took place over the last few years that really confirmed that in your heart. I think we sort of had a glimpse of it initially, and we were like, we really felt that God was calling us into that. And um, just because we had, at that point, a real synchronicity with the other individual who had a desire for this. And um, so we began to do a lot of research. And I think that as we did this research and began to discover more about this generation and these younger generations, um, we realized that our heart was really growing for them. And that in a lot of ways, they've been sold a short bill of goods. And we we were intrigued by this, but also our heart began to come alive about what would what do these two out of the three young people actually need? Are they walking away from Jesus, or are they uh, are they walking away from Jesus, or are they just walking away from the faith or their religions? And that was something that, as we began to do the research, we discovered it was more that they were walking away from church, but not necessarily walking away from God. Giles, tell me a little bit about your experience with discipleship and when it took place. Uh, f- from the story you've told so far, it doesn't sound like you had a lot of experience with it prior to going to Africa. Didn't a lot of this take place after you came back? Yes, you're right. Really, I had never really experienced a true disciple being discipled by someone um, prior to going to Africa. And even when I returned back, it was sort of something that I had never really experienced. And so 
while I was in Kenya, I had learned so many things, but I didn't really learn about this day by day walking with Jesus that disciple being a disciple brings. So as a part of the recovery process of just cross-cultural, when you live cross-cultural, um, there are some emotional things you go through. As part of the recovery process, one of the things was, you know, you need to be reading, be in the Word and in Scripture. And so I really began to discipline myself into reading Scripture daily. And as I began to do this, my heart became more alive about who God is, and I really began to understand His truth more than my truth. And then through a series of opportunities, I was able to go through a disciple group with one of my mentors and friends, and it was an intense 30-week disciple program. Um, And I'm saying program, but I don't even really like to use that word. Uh, But it also trained me how to make disciples. So I was learning things there that I had never heard before, such as reading scripture from the heart, and also learning to journal and to really have those conversations with God. And I can't put my finger on what it is, but through that process, spiritual transformation began happening in me, and I knew I was a different person and a new person. And what you're learning, I think, currently, too, is none of that is meant just for you. That was actually the model, was you have to be able to teach others. But as we began to work with these, we be, I, I said, well, what would this look like maybe with the young people we're trying to reach? And so you and I, we started a disciple group with a group of young men that we grew up with. And the impact was incredible and how they were transformed. And some of these guys had walked away from God in college. I mean, these are the numbers I'm talking about, this two out of three. Um, Some of them just really didn't see a purpose and were sort of even a little bit angry maybe or bitter at church. And to see, though, how they were transformed through the process and began to find purpose in their own lives and even having a desire then to disciple others. So, so is that is that the path forward then for you? Um, you know, you've got the the story from Africa. You've got the three years of of trying to pursue the the one ministry option that you thought was going to turn into this. Is that what the future looks like for you? Yeah, and you know, I think really through this whole time, at this moment, God was like telling me another scripture, and you know. You'll think, well, weren't you already doing the Great Commission when you were in Africa? But I think making a disciple, that was the part that I was, I knew, I did the go, but making disciples, I just didn't even know how. And so through this process now, I realized that when Jesus came and was talking to his disciples in Matthew 28, he says, you know, therefore, I, I have been given all authority in heaven and on earth. Therefore, go and make disciples of all the nations baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Teach these new disciples to obey all my com- all the commands I have given you. And be sure of this, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. And so you had asked about the path forward. Well, I had thought that we were going to be able to do this in the ministry that we were pursuing with uh, this other individual because it was really a method to reach the two out of three and through our own through my own experience in discipling these young people, I realized it was effective and there was fruits. But um, it's not to be, and we understood they just wanted to move in a different direction. And so you're right. Is it the path forward? Absolutely. 
And we're discovering what that looks like now as we now pursue what will this look like as a ministry and just step by step, lamp to our feet, following in the pursuit of God. Pursuit of God um, with, with Christ at the center. Exactly. Biblical and scriptural fluency, um, loving each other well, giving them everything that you have. Um, I think um, all of the things that you've shared with us um, from your your faith background and your story has definitely led up to this point, uh, to this path forward. And I, um, I know I look forward to sharing much more of that story and uh, what is unfolding before us now as it as it comes before us. Absolutely. And I'm so excited to be on this journey um, because I believe that God is going to do something incredible uh, through disciples. And so I look forward to daily being on this journey. Sounds good. Thanks for sharing your story, Josh. Thanks.